0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Whoa. This Ben Drofsky Show, Benny J, bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 and our good friends at the chicago federation of labor benny jay take it away all right ben jarofsky here bonus time on the ben jarofsky show uh let's see today is thursday september 5th 2019 lord knows uh when you're gonna be listening so uh have a, i hope you're having a good day as you hear this as we do uh, all the time with our bonus shows i ask our guest to introduce him or herself so bonus guests introduce yourself
1: Hello, I'm State Senator Robert Peters of the 13th District. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: All right, 13th District in the city of Chicago. That's roughly Hyde Park. It's the Gold
1: Coast Mm -hmm. down to uh, the Indiana border Mm -hmm. along the lakefront, and it's got almost, I think, actually all of Hyde Park in it, Uh, so that's where I come from. I'm out of Hyde Park, so... Yeah, long
0: district. And that uh, had been Kwame Raoul's district. Yep. And before Kwame Raul,
1: oh, what was that guy's name, D, who used to have that district?
0: President Barack Obama. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, Small shoes to
1: fill there. Yeah. 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 No pressure. (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) No pressure, Robert
0: Peters. All right. um, You're here. uh, I reached out to you because, uh, to a large degree, because. Well, you're a state center, so I'd love to get your thoughts on politics, local, and state. But uh, Bernie Sanders has named you as the chair, am I getting it right, of his campaign in the state of Illinois? Do I have that right?
1: I am his uh, lead endorsement here in the state of Illinois. Lead endorsement, yeah.
0: okay. Uh, sorry, Bernie, I got it wrong. Well, uh, But yeah. more or less, I got it right. Yeah. And so we'll talk uh, Bernie and uh, why uh, you, you support Bernie and your thoughts on Bernie and the campaign, et cetera, and so forth, and what uh, how you hope uh, you can help Bernie in the state of Illinois. But before we do that, let's uh, introduce your first time on the show. So tell folks a little bit about yourself. Born in Chicago?
1: Yeah, born and raised in Hyde Park. Uh, I was born deaf uh, with a bad speech impediment. Um, and I was born uh, to a mother who was addicted to drugs and alcohol. This is in 1985. Uh, so in the midst of Reagan's war on drugs and Uh, I was adopted by a civil rights lawyer for a father and a social worker for a mom, Uh, and I wasn't fully able to hear until I was six, uh, and I wasn't fully able to uh, speak until I was 12. Um, My mom used to joke, Uh, during Thanksgiving that when I didn't talk, uh, she knew somebody who said, when he does start talking, he's never going to shut up. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah. Is that true? I mean, (laughs) talk to my family, you know, they'll, they'll say it. Uh, it, it depends. I either talk a lot and it doesn't make any sense. And, uh, I think that's a special gift in its own way. Uh, or I talk a lot and only I care about it. (laughs) So, Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so
0: you grew up, so your parents, the people who adopted you, you, you're your parents let's call them what they I are I call my parents yeah yes yeah, cuz they are your parents I think the people who do the raising are the parents but that's just I me. was
1: raised by many people I would say so oh, okay yeah. it takes
0: a village to raise a kid yep uh anyway so and so you lived in Hyde Park and you went to the local Hyde Park school which would be Ray Elementary Ray
1: there. Elementary Ray Warriors uh, shout out <laughs> to any Ray Warriors out there uh everyone knows you know the mighty, best mighty school Ray. in Hyde Park there I mean I love Murray I love Murray Bret Hart every one of those schools but I'm very proud to have gone to Ray school in then I went to Mount Carmel. Mount uh, for high about
0: Carmel, of course, is the, a power football powerhouse on the south side of Chicago, yep. just south of Hyde Park. Uh, you could have gone to Kenwood. You could have gone to Whitney Young. You could have gone to Lord knows how many schools. Why did you decide to go to Mount Carmel?
1: Oh, wow. There's so many things there. So um, to give you like my school background, I I was originally at Lab uh, because my mom had been a social worker there, and you know you can get your kid in. Uh, but being deaf and adopted and black and growing up in a white family, uh, I was a pretty angry kid. So I got in trouble in kindergarten and I ended up getting kicked out and I went to Ray. uh, And I was still pretty much a troublemaker uh, through that entire time. And my dad, uh, being an Irish Catholic man, uh, civil rights lawyer, that was sort of different than most people, but uh, (laughs) still an angry uh, Irish Catholic man was like, we got to get you some discipline. So he said, you're going to go to Mount Carmel. I hated it. I wanted to go to Kenwood. Um, I ended up, you know, Mount Carmel has been a special experience for me. Um, it, you know, comes with its own sense of baggage uh, because of my development uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a youth. Um, but so I would hang out with Mount Carmel kids and I would hang out with Kenwood kids. I mean, I always talk about uh, one of my favorite movies uh, is The Departed. Uh, and I always think about Mark Wahlberg's line to Leonardo DiCaprio, which is like, what do you drop your R's on the weekend? So Monday through Friday, I was a Mount Carmel kid and on the weekend I was a Kenwood kid and uh, the prom that I most remember is going to Kenwood's prom <laughs> uh, with my friend. And uh, so, uh, yeah, that is, uh, <laughs> I, I led that life. Uh, it took me a while to to, uh, to figure out who I am in the world. And uh, this was a period in which I was definitely not sure well, when, what, what, what was I in the world. When you so.
0: say it took you a while to figure out who you were in the world, I mean, you just by listening to the bare bones of your story, there's a lot to unpack there. Born deaf uh, black kid, white parents, uh, heart is with public school array going to a Catholic school. Uh, so like, what kind of decision did you come to as to who you
1: are? Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, you know, to get real deep, my dad died from cancer when I was 26 and my mom basically died from alcoholism when, uh, I was 28 During that time, I... This is is your parents who raised you, raised you. Parents who raised me. Um, So you're an orphan now. (laughs) I've always been an orphan. Uh, No, uh, yeah, I guess you could say I'm an orphan, Uh, uh, but I'm not lost in the world. I have many people I see as family. Uh, I have four sisters, four amazing sisters. I have amazing friends. I have uh, a large community that I, you know, still call on. Um, But there was a period where I was pretty, you know, depressed, uh, my dad, uh, when I was a kid, a lot of people said that I wouldn't you know, graduate from eighth grade or high school or they, they questioned my parents for even adopting me. And my dad, uh, being again, uh, the good Irish Catholic man that he was, made me watch Rudy, the movie Rudy. <laughs> um, <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, Notre
0: Dame, it's for no, non-sports listeners. Yeah, that's
1: a Notre Dame thing. Oh God. So every Saturday I watch Rudy. Oh, my God. I watched Notre Dame. And my dad would say to me, you know, a lot of people are going to tell you you can't do anything in the world. It's not about whether you can or you can't. Uh It's about whether you go out and try and find out. So he never put it in success or failure. He, He made the pressure more about me just trying to find out and taking new risks. So, of course, when he passes away, I'm like, what does this mean? for me in the world who, you know, like, what's all this about? Uh, You know, I read more Camus than a French Um, (laughs) 17-year-old. And, you know, and then my my mom ended up passing away. Uh, George Zimmerman got off for the murder of Trayvon Martin. I was, I had been in politics. I left it to go work at Groupon. I decided, you know, in that moment that I don't want to do that anymore. I finally was like, I want to fight. Uh, that I find that we have systemic issues in this world that have told me the wrong thing. My mom died with $300,000 of debt that told my mom the wrong thing. Um, And sort of that's where I realized that um, all this sort of pressure about who I'm supposed to be in the world, uh, am I allowed to curse on this? Yeah, it's a podcast. You can say whatever
0: you want. It was some bullshit. (laughs) Uh,
1: And there were a lot of very powerful people and interests that told me I'm supposed to be a certain way, I'm supposed to look a certain way, I'm supposed to act a certain way. For me to get by in politics, you're supposed to be a certain way. And um, for me, uh, I'm driven by an anger that has uh, at first told me to blame myself uh, without realizing that there are actually other people and other forces that deserve blame. Uh, And that whether it was my biological mom, uh, whether it's my parents, whether it's myself, um, that the world we need to make is not the ones that have hurt them. Have you... Do you, have you met your biological mom? No. I mean, I have the birth certificate, um, but to give you an idea of what the last 30 to 40 years has looked like in this country, the community hospital I was born in is now a luxury high-rise. Wow. And uh, the- um, In Chicago. In Chicago. And the home that she has listed is a luxury apartment. And um, so, and the records, you know, I'm trying to find them, but- I also have this weird feeling. I don't know if I want to, you know, when you're adopted, do you think, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, and you figure this out. You're like, I'm going to go find, uh, so there's a, a thing I'm getting real deep, you know, and Ben told me to come on the show and he asked if I was a talker. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. little column A, little column B. And here I am yeah. just talking. Uh, yeah. maybe I'll have a memoir one day. Um, but my, well, it did well for the, your predecessor, Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah, but Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Small shoes again, guys, yeah. small shoes. Um, so. Uh, When you, there's a thing in therapy, I've been to a therapist for seven years. And again, if my therapist is listening, (laughs) shout out to you. Thank you so much. um, That if you've lost two parents and you're adopted Mm -hmm. and you've already gotten over the grieving process Mm -hmm. of having been ripped away from your parents' hands in that adoption process, if you find out that they actually passed away too, um, it can send send another spiral. Uh, So the struggle for me is um, consider the fact that my biological mom did was not in the healthiest of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, from what I understand from the birth certificate, she was 30. Um, and it's been 34 years that she might not be around mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and if she's not, then I have to grieve someone I never got to meet. Mm. Um, and that can be devastating. So, Uh, but considering that I'm almost always pretty existential about things, uh, about a lot of stuff. And I tend to think very deeply, you know, maybe it's something I revisit and I accept um, and I only have so much time to really act. Mm -hmm. Um, So either I act now or I just, you know, accept it. Yeah.
0: Uh, And uh, by the way, uh, what 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 college, undergraduate, did you go to Notre Dame? After all, no, no, I didn't go to Notre Dame. R- Rudy I, movies? I was,
1: a, um, I was not a, the best student. Uh, I have a really bad ADHD. Uh, and for me, I when I latch on, the way our, we do our education system is pretty broken to get into this. Yeah. Let, me, let me do my best uh, black Bernie Sanders here. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the way we do our education system is broken. And yeah. one way that's broken is, uh, if you have adhd or you learning disabilities and you're struggling in life and you have high anxiety or you have some level of autism or something like that uh, you don't fit into the box that education is supposed to have so for me i was a very creative person i'm always been my imagination can run wild i constantly spend every night thinking about what the next 30 years look like <laughs> i go to i wake up the next day and I, you know i'll You know, have a little bit of an anxious shake because I think about what the next 30 years look like. And there's a lot of imaginative, you know, dreaming the impossible to make it possible is something that I feel is important if you're both an organizer or a a legislator. So for me, school was not necessarily built for that. It's so results driven um, and it's constantly individualistic in the race against each other um, that the education system. Uh, was not built for someone who, you know, saw things like, I cared about politics since, you know, I think I was 10. Um, I cared about the arts. I cared about expressing myself. I acted out in order to do so. I was then put into the learning disability class, which, uh, you know, back then, I don't know if they do it now, but, you know, the LD, the local dummy class, as it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I was basically told I did not fit the norm so for me, school um, did not um, cater to my strengths. Uh, it tried to turn my weaknesses into strengths instead of actually actually strengthening uh, uh, sort of my uh, strengthening myself educationally or me- mentally and emotionally. So I get to college. Um, And it's my first year there. I went to Kansas State University. I went to the middle of Kansas. Kansas Uh, And let me tell you a a place, just sort of like Mount Carmel was a place at first, I was like, what am I doing? Uh, And then I was like, this has been so influential for me. I get to Kansas State University and my first year, I almost get kicked out i drank and party. i was like i am free we're gonna do this (laughs) rock and roll let's do it i I convinced my friend uh he's now with uh he's he's now a valet driver and a doorman he's with uh seiu local one so shout out to local one uh i convinced him to come all the way out there with me and we just flunked ourselves out so my dad comes to get me we go meet with the dean and uh, he, you know, looks at the dean. Goes, my son's gonna graduate from this school, so you gotta keep him here. You know, he, he's being a little stupid, but just, he, just keep him here. So, uh, all out of all of that, I end up staying at K State. And surprisingly enough, I'm very open about it. I am one credit hour short from having a college degree, mm. which was my dad's last wish. And I, I the best way I put it is, uh, I was always rebellious to what my dad wanted me to do. And okay. uh, he said, you know, you gotta get. I get a normal job after college. And uh, I hope if he's watching, uh, I did not necessarily get a normal job uh, as a state senator, but uh, I, he he did say before he passed away to follow my dreams. And my dream is to, you know, as much as possible impact and change the world around me. And I hope I can do that here. So, so
0: how did, what's the road from being one credit short of a degree, which By the way, one credit? It's very
1: annoying. I mean, one credit? I know. I'm like, I want to be like, yo, guys, you know, the system's a little weird when um, (laughs) here I am. You know, like you're going to, it's going to be like the situation when on the uh, Wikipedia page, you'll be like, attended. Yeah. Yeah, Attended Kansas State. Attended, uh, you know. Uh,
0: Wait, so it's Kansas is the Jayhawks. Kansas Mm -hmm. State is the what? Wildcats. Oh, I should have known that. Yeah, the the ag school.
1: You know, I, I, uh, and when I talk to farmers and they, they think of just some sort of. You know, you know, I'm a black-eyed Parker. What do I know? I'm like, let me tell you something. Uh, Every morning, uh, <laughs> I smelled manure at like eight o'clock, and it woke me up. It was as strong as the coffee, so I understand some bit about your your work. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, all right. So you come back to Chicago, and uh, you go to work for Groupon. No, I I first, uh, so I couldn't find a job. It was the Great Recession. Uh huh. Um, and. So I get out and I'm just sleeping on my dad's couch and he's like, you got to go do something. Yeah. Uh, I was, he was like, go, this is my favorite thing that he said to me, go to, go to Radio Shack. Um, and if anybody is out here, <laughs> I don't think Radio Shack exists anymore. So I think that was a no, good decision <laughs> not to go to Radio Shack and um, go to Radio Shack. <laughs> yes. So my lifelong alderman was yeah. running for a uh, County board president. So I was Tony Preckwinkle. Okay. And so I, um, in 2009, 2010, I worked for her and then I worked from campaign to campaign. Uh, at the same time, I went to organizing. Uh, if anybody's been an organizer, they've been to the, the, the sort of organizing training. Uh, but I did the organizing training, and then about and then I went to go work at another organization. Uh, I get fired from that organization because I was extremely arrogant. I had a lot of vanity, mm-hmm. uh, political vanity. Um, what does that mean? Political vanity. Yeah. I thought I was the next greatest thing of all time. I deserved to be in office. Uh, for many folks who look like me, uh, we all see ourselves as sort of the next of someone who's held this seat, the next uh, sort of Obama, and, uh-huh. um, really arrogant. And so then I lose my job. And then a week later, I lose my dad to cancer. Wow. So part of the reason why I had that spiral of finding out who I am and not trying to be a, something for somebody else was the fact that I had this, I lost this job, it was a jolt, I lose my dad, Uh, I'm unemployed, Um, and I'm like, what does this mean in the world? So I decided, I did some political stuff here and there and didn't really like it and wasn't really moving. I felt like I was doing it so I could just get by. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I decided to go work at Groupon um, where I started becoming more comfortable with who I am. And the key part that I think is so important is I hung out with mostly regular people. Uh, people who did not care about what was going on in politics. Um, They were too busy in their lives or in the midst of having like every, a lot of millennials escaping the world around them. When you have crushing student debt, uh, you have really no power in your workplace. Um, When a lot of people are telling you you're supposed to be a certain way. I think the way we talk about politics and we do politics, it's not one that's necessarily enticing to that. Um, And so that was like, Oh my God, here I am after college. I was, hanging around a a different generation of people who live and breathe this, Uh, but I was not really with regular people, and here I am in that. Um, But I saw so many people in my workplace who were, uh, you know, sort of annoyed or um, I I guess uh, not feeling uh, sort of lost in the world around them and very angry about it. I was there at Groupon uh, when Snarf's, uh, which was a sandwich shop, uh, was having a fight for 15 campaign and then they decided to close the shop and fire everybody. That, yeah. And that was, everyone was talking about it being like, I can't believe they did this. Um, so a lot of stuff was happening politically as uh, sort of, you know, quote unquote, a millennial that was sort of like, like, Oh, you know, like a jolt to the system is going on. And that helped play a role in me being like, okay, I got to go out in the world and uh, sort of do what I believe Um, and inevitably led me to, uh, reclaim Chicago and the people's lobby, uh, who were part of my first organizing experience before my dad died. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I get there and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty mad and pissed about the world around me. Um, mad about what happened after the recession, mad that what led to it, mad about what happened to, uh, my, my, my biological mother, my adopted mother, uh, the things I was told, And, you know, they essentially said, it's okay. You're allowed to be mad about that and you're allowed to act out about that. So I organized with them, uh, and I was their political director. And so the minimum wage increase in suburban cook, um, I was the political director who helped organize around that uh, and getting that done, uh, bail reform. Uh, you know, I, I was part of the bail reform coalition. I helped write the first bill that came out to abolish bail, Mm um, and then, you know, my, the first campaign I worked on was getting rid of money in politics. I worked on publicly finance elections, uh, because I thought this, you know, now that I'm in this role, let me tell you, I don't think anybody likes to actually raise money. Yeah. It's a very tough thing. So, um, and then I, you know, I get out of that, uh, I take a break, you know, I took a leave to go work for Daniel Biss to be his political director. Um,
0: and he, this, at the time, Daniel Biss was a state representative from Evanston or running State for, senator. He, oh, was he was running was, for- He was running for state senator.
1: No, he was running for governor. So I oh, was there for a to, while. I see. You yeah. went to work for him for st- the gubernatorial campaign of 2018. Yeah. And so I worked for, uh, you know, for Daniel and uh, built a really close relationship with him. And, you know, we fought really hard. And then- You know, I get out of there and, you know, we lose to to Governor Pritzker, who I'll just say here has been an amazing governor um, and, um, you know, has what an amazing session. I guess I should say that as a state senator here as well. Uh, And I was lucky enough to pass 13 bills uh, this session. Um, And part of that is because we had a governor uh, who listened.
0: So how did you get from being... The I'm just throwing a lot out The political director yeah. for a candidate who lost. Daniel Biss lost. So i should report, repeat that. He lost in yep. the, uh, the governor's race, uh, the primary of 2018. Finished second, though, for 10 trivia points. They have all five candidates in that race.
1: Um, so, uh, J.B., Chris uh-uh. Kennedy, yeah. um, Biss, uh Diver, um, uh, am I including Tio Hardiman? Yes. I and guess I, do you I, want me to include Robert Marshall? Yes. I forgot. It was actually uh, six yeah. Marshall. Yeah. That's
0: correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robert Marshall. He of course was the man with the plan to divide the state into three, uh, consider voting for him for a moment or two. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but I ultimately decided not to, I voted for Dan Biss. Uh, I must make this confession here. I told you this before we went in the air. Yeah. I'm torn with that because now in retrospect, I realize that J.B. Pritzker, uh, is a great governor, or yeah. he's got the least of, out of the box. It's, you, everybody teases me. You were one that I'll never say a nice thing about a politician. This is true. But uh, in since Harold Washington, I'm I'm thinking this through now. I got to really think this through. I can't think of a politician who's done more things that I want than JB Pritzker. Yes. Okay. I, and I didn't vote for him. I didn't think he was good for the
1: party. I, so I was wrong. Okay, I admit I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, JB has been. Um, and I, you know, if he's listening, um, get well, uh, and the other part is what an amazing, uh, 2019 this has been, uh, what an amazing session we've had. Um, you can just look at the veto Mm -hmm. breakdown of all previous governors. Um, it's just been, um, we can go around to other states and we can say oh that that sucks you, you guys need to you need to be like Illinois
0: yeah well it, it helps to be a billionaire but uh, let's put that to the side <laughs> yeah so how did you get again again so you're Bis loses you're again you're out of a job how did you get to be well
1: no I I made I made sure that I could come back to be at, at reclaim got it yeah mm-hmm. I I made sure that I would be able to come back to reclaim uh, and, you know, help run some people for office. Andre Vasquez is someone who stands out in the 40th ward. Alderman uh, of the newly elected Alderman of the 40th Alderman. ward. And um, so, you know, I came back and then um, Kwame's seat ends up opening up um, and I built relationships. I think the work that I did uh, organizing um, and the work that I have done uh, both challenging and working with the party, I have a close relationship with Tony Preckwinkle. I'm not going to deny that. Um, is one that led me to have that space Mm -hmm. to be able to get appointed to the seat. Now I get appointed to the seat and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, uh, do I deserve this thing? I mean, this is a real question that should be asked. When you get appointed, do you deserve to be there? And I thought, well, I have to earn it. Um, And so I spent most of my time being like, I'm gonna do whatever I can to earn it. Mm -hmm. And then I now spend most of my time saying, I gotta go bigger, I gotta go harder. Uh, And my next session, I need to figure out something that's a bolder risk. but yeah, I've, I've been in here since January. Uh, and, uh, you know, my hope is that I'm able to stay in the seat uh, and I'll do whatever I can, uh, but I won't stop being the organizer I am.
0: Now we'll get to Bernie, but I, I just want to follow something up here. I know we're here to talk Bernie, but Tony Perkwick, interesting politician in the city of Chicago. I've been following Tony's career since the 80s. I've had my ups and downs with Tony. But there's one thing, when it comes to cultivating young political talent, Tony Preckwinkle um, has develop, has cultivated quite a few, and I'm just going to run off the top of my head. I remember, uh, and I knew them all as young men. Uh, Will Burns, who owes, uh, he, he was the alderman of the fourth ward. Uh, Tony uh, moved him from state rep or, or when she left, the, the, he was her successor. Uh, Christian Mitchell, who's now a big shot with Pritzker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian's such a big shot these days. Uh, and uh, Tony cultivated his career as a state rep. Am I? And now you, am I leaving somebody out? Uh, I mean,
1: he, she played a role with Kim Fox. Kim uh, Fox, absolutely. Barack Obama early on. Uh, Kwame Raul. I mean, I'm not saying she had the direct hand with all folks, but I think that I would say Kim Fox and
0: Juliana Stratton. Juliana Stratton. Uh, and the, you. I would say you, Will, Christian Mitchell, Kim Fox, and Juliana Stratton are the ones that she really cultivated. Am I right about that? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think that um, the one thing that we need to have in uh, in politics is the idea of a long game of developing people. And I think, especially um, for me, when I was political director you know, I, I, at Reclaim, we as an organization, uh, and as well as, as you see with the UWF does this as well is candid development and long-term game, long-term infrastructure, long-term organizing, uh, politics, I, I go back to that term, uh, political vanity. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you should not be in office just for yourself. Um, your office is part of a larger, you know, I can't believe I'm about to quote Saul Linsky and, it's, you know, Saul is problematic, uh, but Saul Alinsky says, uh, and I'm, paraphrasing, is once you've accepted your own death, you become a tactic to your cause. Um, and so, because you, you know that you're going to die, and then, and then, you know, he says, you know, you must believe it is darkest before the dawn of a brand new world. It is very poetic. Wait, time out. When did Alinsky say that? I mean, he says, I believe in rules for radicals. But once, do that to me one more time. Once you've accepted your own death, you become a tactic to to your own cause, or to the cause that you believe in, it's a, This is a much longer quote Whoa, than that. Man, that's some deep. D. Give me the bong, would you? That's a deep quote, man. <laughs> that's <was> deep. <laughs> that you become attacked to your own, wow. and you become attached to your own cause. So for yeah. me, um, if the cause is one around justice, a cause is that you're clear that the world and the path that we are on isn't working for folks. Um, that we're playing a risky game. Then you you understand that you are a tactic of this cause, and mm-hmm. um, one part of that tactic is that you get you can go into office. But the key part about that tactic is if you go in an office, it should be an organizing mechanism. It should be how do we develop leaders to also run for office one day? How do we develop leaders to be in the quote unquote shadow government? You know that sort of how government operates isn't simply because there's a politician, but because people who are on staff. Uh, people who lobby people who do all that stuff how do we develop that and how much risk can you take Um, and I think that that is something that has to be grounded in everything we do and I think more and more people uh, especially in in sort of the movement spaces see that understand that and are doing it and I think it's it we've become it's become easier at the city level uh the next step is these broader levels and and we're in a space of great realignment in the world uh politically i mean if you look at bernie and you look at you know and warren as well um a lot of things that are being said are things that nobody thought would be said and uh folks like bernie sanders who's been doing this for quite some time i'm 36 so I can tell you, uh, maybe before I was born here. Um, oh, well before you were born. Well, before I look like I'm 15, we're not on video, but you'll be shocked. Yeah. Um, and I am 34 and, uh, you know, I think the stuff that I've gone through in life has made me feel even older and yet it's not showing on my face. No, he uh, looks,
0: we would, we carded him before he came into the studio.
1: It, it, it did happen. Uh, and thank you, Ben, for that joke. I don't feel insecure. Hello, my therapist. We're going to call you up. I'll be talking to you sometime soon. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, uh,
0: all right. So you 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 get appointed to fill a vacancy, and the way that happens in the Cook County, in, with the under the rules, that uh, the Democratic committee men gather from all, all the Democratic committee men who are in the the uh, 13th uh, state Senate district, and I believe that Tony Perquico from the fourth. Uh, ward would probably be have the largest number of weighted votes. The fifth
1: ward, Uh, Uh, Leslie Oh, Leslie
0: Harrison has the most. Yeah. So you've got to make nice to Leslie to get, make sure she's endorsing you. So it's really winning over the acceptance of elected officials. It's a little different than a campaign uh, where you have to win over the voters. This
1: is the idea is I got appointed and now I got to earn it. Mm -hmm. Um, So did they tell you that when they gave you the appointment? I mean, I don't think that those words were said. I think it's just my own insecurity. They'd be going, hey, kid, <laughs> yeah. you got this.
0: Now get out there and earn it. Well,
1: I mean, Tony definitely does say that all the time um, to earn it. But for me as well in my own is, you know, I so I, I talked and I don't want to brag so much. And my job as a politician is to make sure to talk about what I've done, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's election season. So I might as well do that or my staff will kill me, um, is I passed 13 bills. Yeah. And I think that was the most for a freshman. Um, I was very intense about it. I was very focused on it. Uh, but the whole time, as I'm feeling like I have to earn it and pass these bills, and that's how I earn it. I did not feel that I was given um, the thumbs up by the voters to do so. Mm-hmm. So as I'm doing that to show the voters that I you know, deserve to be in the seat, um, I still want to be able to next year go back to Springfield and say that my vision uh, and the organizing work that folks are doing is approved, uh, by the people.
0: So give me an example, of a couple of the bills that you, pa- when you say you passed a bill, someone, when, yeah. what, what are the ones you're most proud of?
1: Uh, I mean, um, so I'll, I'll break it down into some buckets. So I have a sort of systemic view of mass incarceration, like mm-hmm. breaking down mass incarceration, uh, breaking down the prison industrial complex and uh, sort of a reimagining of safety and justice. So, the, uh, and I can get into a deeper level of that if you want me to, but I'll, I'll just say this. So Um, ICE and Donald Trump tried to come into Illinois. Uh, There were a bunch of organizers in central Illinois near Dwight who um, heard about a uh, private detention center that was about to be built there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it was about to be a thousand beds. Uh, And these organizers, um, along with state rep Kelly Cassidy and organizations at ICER, um, came together and I was part of it uh, to pass a bill uh, that banned private detention centers in Illinois. So no private detention centers. How big was this bill? A state Senator in Colorado called me. They, she has like two private detention centers in her district, um, by the geo group. And she asked me how you did it. Uh, uh an organizer in New Mexico has asked me the same thing. Uh, I try to explain to them how that works. It's a little bit more complicated when you already have these detention centers, obviously. They've mm-hmm. already built a lot of power. Um, but in Illinois, we expanded on banning any private detaining of people. Um, so that was one. The other one is um, uh, Daniel Biss and Kelly Cassidy worked on a bill to end what I call pay to stay, uh, or it was a, some form of indentured servitude. Essentially, if you're in prison, uh, the Department of Corrections had the ability to sue you for your own incarceration. Um <laughs> which is just a wild law to have. Um, They didn't use it that often, but my thinking is when you have a law like that on the books, someone can use it in a very, very horrible way. Um, And, you know, especially if we're going to have a possible economic slowdown, you could have the worst type of uh, financial uh, management that preys on the weakest among us. And so, um, you know, that was the... My favorite Kelly Cassidy story here is, uh, so I I decided to take that bill first on the floor. You know, everyone's like, you don't want to do a tough bill for your first bill on the floor, and I was like, I'm gonna do it. (laughs) My uncle, I was afraid to swim. I was a really, I was a district wide swimmer. I was a statewide swimmer. I swam in Atlanta in a junior national competition. So. This is the weird part about the story is when I was afraid of the water and my uncle, my godfather, when I was six, threw me into the uh, deep end. You I go. you can't really do that anymore, <laughs> but he just threw me in the deep end. <laughs> you can get the state might
0: arrest <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, you can't
1: do that anymore. But yeah. I was like, I'm gonna jump in the deep end with this bill and I get up there and I'm trying to negotiate this bill and sort of every Willie Horton esque statement just comes thrown my way and I'm like to myself, I'm like, Jesus Christ, what am I going to say here? And I was like, okay, I'm going to pull the bill. And I text Kelly and I go, you're going to move your bill first. So we come back to the end of session. Her bill's now gone through. I've carried it back to the floor. It's the last bill I have to do. Number 13, number 13. What's the number of the bill? Uh, well, I, I think it's a uh, HB 900. Got it. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting up there. I'm like, I don't know. Should I do this bill? Maybe I won't carry it. And Kelly texts me and goes, you know, basically it's like run the fucking bill, Robert, do that it.
0: That is Casey. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm Kelly like, Kelly Cassidy It's my girl. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at
1: my friend, Ron Villa Volum, who's uh, the state center of Northwest side. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And he's like, do you have the votes? I was like, you know, cause I, I was very intense about my roll call. Uh, and you know, and this one was very close. I was like, I don't know. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And you know, I get up there and you know, some folks on the other side of the aisle just start, kind of making fun of me. Like we've seen this bill before Senator Peters, you know, what's going on here. Uh. And you know, I make a joke. I was like, I was but a wee freshman, but I'm here, <laughs> you know, yeah. mature and i whatever, you yeah. know, shit. And then, you know, I'll, I, I run it and I look up and I can see, you know, 33 or 32 votes. I can't remember. And I passed it and I was like, I started session with this thing where I took this risk. It didn't, didn't work out the way I wanted it to. And I brought it back and here it is, you know, I got it done and I was so proud of myself and then I sat there, being like, "We have so many more hours till the budget comes." <laughs> so I was like, "What a high!" And then yeah. I was like, "All right, we got some more more time." Where I just now and so did that away. that
0: now, but what did that bill do exactly? You said it removed it, paid, paid a stay, stay. and yeah. it paid a stay. So in other words, the prison they can't charge, they can't sue your own incarceration. All right. And uh, uh, did you get any Republican support in that bill?
1: Um, I think this was a partisan bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, those Republicans with that big heart of theirs. Yeah.
1: Uh, and, uh, and Cullerton allowed it to happen, huh? No, Cullerton has been a good and fair, you know, president. I like working with the Senate president. Um, and I think this session was really an example of, like, what it means to have the members that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, I was I was able to work the bill, and I think that at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Is there's a, folks who need to be convinced? That's what you're supposed to do as a legislator. And do any Democrats vote against it? No, I don't remember having any Democrats vote against All it.
0: All right, that's a big. And so, what did Kelly Cassidy say when it passed the Senate?
1: I think she was she was happy. Um, but I think she, she gives me, Kelly looks out for me and she gives me positive reinforcement. Uh, and then, you know, a little kick in the butt if I need it. Yeah. So,
0: well, that's a yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, that little text from Kelly Cassie. Get to work. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so, okay. So those are two uh, bills that you're particularly proud of now. Uh, when a, um, a person of course is appointed, uh, to a seat like that. Uh, there are people who uh, on the outside are disappointed. They didn't get the appointment mm-hmm. and are going to label you as, you know, sort of like a tool of the man, if you will, mm. uh, for having to get the appointment. So what do you say to all those people?
1: I'll say that I understand that I was appointed. Well, can't run away from that. But um, if anybody wants to see my organizing and the work that I've done before um, being, being a tool is not, I think the way it would be described. I mean, I've done civil disobedience twice during the round of years. Um, You know, I, I've had to put my body on the line. Uh, I've had to make, you know, threats to people in power for the things I believe in. And at the same time, I know how to work relationships and I have a very clear understanding of power. Um, When you're you come from organizing, it's not about necessarily being on the righteous few. And, It's about how do you build enough power to be taken serious in the space? Mm -hmm. uh, And how do you uh, navigate those spaces uh, to be able to move the things you believe in? And it's not like it's just me. Everyone's doing it. Um, So I think the record I have, the background I have, uh, the risks that I'm taking, the endorsement I made for president, um, I think can clearly show that um, I'm clear and understand power, but... um, I'm one who loves to take risks and uh, believe that uh, there's a longer term vision for what we need to change, uh, not just in the south side of Chicago or downtown Chicago or Chicago, but really on a global scale. All right, let's get to that endorsement
0: of president because the uh, the Bernie people are probably listening Go,
1: When are you going to talk about Bernie? Uh, uh, I'm a politician, so there's some narcissism <laughs> that plays here, so I apologize. Uh, Plus, I'm interested in the local
0: story, guys. Yeah. Right? Calm down, Bernie Sanders, the handlers. All right, now... Uh, uh, so here's the deal i uh, voted for bernie in 2016. i know all about bernie's message i like a lot about what bernie's message is i have not decided i'm going to support him in this time around but i really like bernie sanders and what he's done i'm going to
1: do the best i can to convince, to convince
0: you. me okay uh, i do not see anybody an elected position in the leadership of illinois that remotely resembles bernie sanders uh, so why are you supporting Bernie Sanders as opposed to some of the other candidates that more resemble uh the uh, conventional Illinois politician.
1: Yeah, so I'm not going to say anything about the conventional Illinois politician and I think that uh, to start off is it, there's if anything has happened over the last few years is the diversity of progressive politics in in the state. Mm-hmm. I mean I'll, I'll, and I I'll, I'll just say that and then um you know, I think we had a lot of sort of conventional thoughts, you and I, especially about what the governor uh, would be like as a governor. And, Fair and enough. And yeah, we both can say, yeah. look how he's been as governor. He's been he's been great, but he's um, no Bernie Sanders. I mean, you know. Uh, anybody and everybody who's out there, someone that I'll convince uh, around what Bernie's vision is all about. So for me, the main thing that really drives me is in the sort of part about justice. Um, I think about the life that I've led. Uh, I think about the people around me. Uh, I think about the life that they've gone through. And I think about the fact that uh, President Bernie Sanders would change the dynamic for so many people who are like them and like myself. Um, and so when it comes to what a Bernie Sanders presidency looks like, it means a completely different approach to how we treat the, the, this, the working class, uh, black folks on the South side, uh, Latinx folks who are feeling worried about what ICE is going to do or what's going on. Um, it's about a, a sort of a government that is grounded in justice. Um, and so I was a Bernie delegate in 2016, uh, there was a lot of pressure for me not to go with Bernie. I felt that pressure too. But if we go back to my story, when I said a lot of people told me I'm supposed to be a certain way and I have to be a certain way. Uh, and you know, you're know you supposed to act a certain way and you're supposed to do a certain thing. If I get lost in doing that, uh, and I get lost in being not being who I am, being who other people want me to be, uh, then what am I doing here? Um, and I think that goes to with Bernie Sanders. There's a reason why, I am attached to what Bernie's doing, why I'm driven by it, why I see it, why I see the organizer in chief. Um, When it looked like uh, I got to see the uh, safety and justice plan that he has for safety and justice for all or justice and safety for all, um, it was, I I remember sitting there almost like near tears. Um, We're talking about the fact that we're moving what a first responder means, redefining that uh, to a social worker is mind blowing. Uh, looking at risk assessment, not just because you need political cover, because that's what risk assessment often is, but because you know, it has baked in biases and you want to make sure you study it. That's, that that shouldn't even be radical. That's common sense. Um, to me, when it comes to, we're talking about safety in this city and I have a huge passion around safety. Like I'm getting real mad. Like, you know, it's going to be real (laughs) bad when we talk about safety in this city, Um, We always talk about it over the same failed policies of the last 30, 40 years, the policies that led to my biological mom using drugs, the policies that put me up for adoption, the policies that gave my civil rights lawyer for a dad work that I wish he'd never had to have. When we when I talk to constituents, when I knock on their doors or I meet with them and I say, do you feel safer now than you did 10 years ago? And they say, no, I say, why are we going to continue to do the same damn shit over and over again? So let's flip it. We now have someone running for president who says, we're going to reimagine what safety and justice for all looks like. We're going to completely reimagine it. And I have a feeling, I have a feeling, a gut feeling that that is what we need in Chicago, what we need in that district. So that when we talk about the spaces that people are allowed to be in, that they're open, they're free, they're lively, they're community. They rebuild the bonds of what it means to be together. You're not going through anything in isolation. Mm -hmm. I mean, at any policy that we can talk about in terms of Senator Sanders and what he's proposing, we can look at them in isolation or we can realize that that is also about safety. Right. Um, so, yeah,
0: that's a very uh, uh, a powerful uh, uh, delivery you just made there. And uh, while you're talking, I'm thinking about the, the racial gap. Uh, that exists in democratic politics particularly in regards to bernie sanders because what you're saying uh is is i just i happen to believe everything you just said that the the last 30 years of the war on drugs was utterly insane and just a waste of people's lives and billions of dollars and destroyed neighborhoods and we kept it going for all these years and we're still keeping it going to Mm -hmm. a certain degree and yes you're right bernie sanders um have did take a stand at a very early uh, age, uh, politically speaking, in his political career against it. So I give him a lot of credit for that. And yet in 2016, when Bernie Sanders ran for president uh, as a Democrat, almost all the black vote went with Hillary Clinton. And I had so many conversations uh, with black people in the city of Chicago that went along like this. And I'm doing my best to paraphrase it accurately. If Bernie Sanders cared so much about black people, why'd he move to Vermont? because there's no black people in Vermont. I've mm-hmm. heard this, how many times I've heard this, I cannot tell you, Robert, how many times I've heard people tell me this, it's just a big disconnect between Bernie Sanders, who was brand new in the minds, and the eyes of many black voters, they never heard of the guy before, uh, and the black voters themselves. So talk about that, address that. How can Bernie break down these barriers and get black voters uh, to give, pay attention to him?
1: Yeah, so I wanna say that we can't look at 2016. I think that oftentimes we want to relitigate 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that the era between uh, okay. the end of World War II and 2016 is its own era, the are, New Deal slash neoliberal coalition, the Cold War coalition, the Cold War consensus, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the moment that Donald Trump, who was never oh. supposed to be president, according to a lot of people became president, was the breakdown of that consensus. It was a reality that the, you know, sort of the political world um, has sort of changed. Uh, that, the, that, that was the evolution point and that we are in a different type of crisis. Uh, and I think all of us feel that sense of crisis at almost any given hour, whether it's a tweet, uh, whether it's a policy that comes out from the White House, we are in a constant state of, of crisis. So uh, I don't wanna necessarily relitigate 2016. What I will say is, you know, when you look at polling, uh, he's the most favorable candidate. That's across the board. Uh, he has an extremely diverse base. Uh, it's younger. Uh, so it's, you know, it's people who are roughly my age, who are, you know, that we're black and many of us support uh, Senator Sanders. Um, uh, it, it, when it comes to the gender dynamics, more women or folks who identify as women uh, are supporting him. Um, so I think there's th- been an evolution and some change there. I think the interesting part is it's not just on him. Um, part of the reason why I'm doing this is because I have a vision and I have a belief about how the world should be, uh, that I need to you know, move voters to also, you know, to, to, to convince them that this is the right vision or they have it and they need to tell me and I gotta knock on those doors to find that out. And I gotta carry that vision. And one part that for me to carry that vision is also to make sure that I'm helping uh, Bernie in terms of getting people to be bought in. Uh, The other part about this is that I'm helping move people who otherwise might have supported him, who don't, on why it's not 2016. Um, If we keep relitigating the same shit that happened before, uh, we get stuck in time while the Republican Party... Uh, especially in D.C., keeps chopping away at everything we've done before. Mm-hmm. So while we're focusing on that, uh, it, I'm sure every government agency is getting a new thing that has been you know, turned over, and we only get a small bit of it um, as it's been destroyed and crippled. So I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the vision. Mm-hmm. Bernie has a different base now than he did uh, in 2016, uh, I think, He's deve- He needs to expand on that. That's something I am more than willing to work on. And one way that he's doing that is that he's clearly identifying the issues of race and economic justice and gender justice together. Uh, and he's done that also with the staff. Uh, you know, when I talk to folks on staff, we're talking to mostly women of color um, that I'm having these conversations with. It's, uh, you know, Ben, I'm going to just say this, not, you know, generally just some old white dudes. Um, It's. uh, Hey, wait a minute. I'm sorry. It's it's women of color who, you know, come from organizing spaces who are pushing this over and over again. So. I, I and I think the other. It's thing, so funny you
0: got all the women of color to endorse the old white dude. But well, whatever, uh, you whippersnapper. Let uh, me let tell me, you what I, I was I, doing. Hey, I'm on
1: your program. I'm endorsing it right here. So I think we, you know, we've seen it. And so, uh, you know, um, but I, I, I think that um, that's a very like valid, you know, sort of feeling that people have. It's, it's, it's mm. in the facts, but. Uh,
0: So you think it's a 2016 uh, feeling that I just I when I was paraphrasing what people told me in 2000, in other words, you think that uh, Bernie, the last four years, uh, Bernie has become more familiar to black voters. Yes. And his message uh, has resonated a little more and has had time. For people to embrace it and think about it, yes, and uh, as, and so they are uh, more open to voting for Bernie this time around, yes.
1: And I, I think that the idea of the work over these next few months is to make sure that more and more folks, uh, as of figuring out who should they go with, uh, the choice is kind of to me clear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the person who again wants to reimagine what safety looks like in our communities. It's uh, the person who is saying, if you're going through a healthcare crisis, you shouldn't have to worry about your pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the person who says, oh, you know, if if we're talking about how we have trouble to pay for it, um, for me especially, um, this sort of endless war thing needs to end. Uh, it's the person who says, uh, when your kid is coming out of uh, grade school or high school, um, that he doesn't have to look just simply as, At the military to get his way out of it. Um, He can go and get a job in the trades because we're going to have a green new deal that is centered around labor and working class folks who look like myself. Right. It is it is about that vision uh, and clearly communicating that vision and. Uh, he's someone who's just been sticking by it. I mean, to the point where a lot of people, I think, um, sort of criticize him because he's so stuck by it. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't do the thing that I I do pretty well, which is tell this sort of story like that. Uh, and you can look at that as a downside or you can look at it like that guy's going to go in there. And when Mitch McConnell is playing all types of games, mm-hmm. who's going to be the attorney general for the president? Who, who, which, which, which of all the candidates is going to pick an attorney general that says we're going to look at our justice system very differently. Right. We're going to think about who's going to pick this cabinet that looks at the world in a way that's different and that works for each and every one of us. And my belief and my bet is that Senator Bernie Sanders is one who's going to do that. And when he can't necessarily get through Mitch McConnell. And he's spending a week trailblazing through Kentucky, and he's saying, "I'm not blaming the coal miner worker. Yeah. I'm blaming your boss. Yeah, yeah, that's the person I want." Was that kind of a Bernie imitation that was just kind of emerging? You, might, <laughs> you don't see my, you know, you don't see you know, you know millionaire from the billionaire. I mean, that's, they, and I think that's to me the the thing that's appealing. Yeah, uh, no. and I think that's why I like the organizer and chief line that he does. I mean, it's it's on point. This this campaign is about uh, developing talent and. um, I think the other thing that's very clear is it's not just about um, electing Bernie, but sort of a long-term bench. There's so many people who came from that who've ran for office or moved into office. And so many of us who have done that and many people have many feelings about us doing it. And here we are, uh, often younger, um You know, taking whatever beating we can take, but we're doing it because we believe in that justice and that justice for all.
0: Yeah. And, and Bernie, I mean, I have to give him this above all else. He is so consistent. That message that he delivers is just the same wherever he goes. I've been talking a lot on my show about Bernie's interview with Joe Rogan. Uh, and I urge everybody that not that Joe Rogan needs any more listeners, huh, D? Uh, He only has yeah. twenty million of them, but it, it's a really great. Interview. I don't know if you've seen it, but Joe Rogan is a podcaster, yeah. and uh, well, one of my lefty friends never heard of Joe Rogan. So uh, anyway, um, but it was Bernie was Bernie he was just you know we gotta go to kentucky and blah, blah, blah. yeah and it was bernie and then i read uh, he was an interview in the nation just the other day which is the leftiest of all lefty all my lefty listeners know what the nation yeah. is bernie was the same bernie with the nation that he was with joe rogan it, it was not like he tried to tailor one to the other so you, you know what you're getting when you get bernie sanders
1: and you know he does a um interview with Addie barkin uh, i think i'm saying that right yeah. um where, uh, he gets asked some personal questions, um, especially about his legacy. And you can see him open up a bit. Um, there are times where he hesitates. Um, you know, he lost his mom when he was 18. Uh, he doesn't necessarily share that story. I will be very honest with you. I understand that. Uh, it took me a long time to open up and talk about, uh, my parents' death. Um, and, I think the fact of the matter is that that clearly plays some sort of role with them. It's amazing how sometimes it's the thing unsaid that you can see is deep and vulnerable for people. Um, The reason why you might avoid a thing is because it has such an effect on you. And you can see that in the video if you're able to watch it. Um, So he's not only consistent, but you kind of get an idea of where this comes from. Um, And, you know, he's opened up. There's a famous uh, clip that I always think of when he's walking around in Brooklyn talking about throwing the ball off the house. Yeah,
0: I've seen that clip. Yeah, yeah. And
1: he's just explaining the story Mm -hmm. and you're just like, you can see that's like, there's an anger there and there's this whole belief in politics that you can't be angry. Um, I, uh, you know, uh, to talk about myself as I am as a politician, but I had um, a homeless mom, uh, a survivor of domestic violence. She left Florida, came to Chicago. Um, She told me to uh, my face that, The best place to sleep in Chicago when you're homeless was Maggie Daly Park. Because if you're a woman, you didn't want to go to Lower Lower Wacker because you could experience uh, a great deal of abuse. Uh, And she got a a stipend to be able to get rent and live in South Shore. And she was so thankful for it. And I'm sitting there and I'm just filled with anger. Mm -hmm. Because what kind of world are we doing where you have to be lucky to get that stipend Mm -hmm. so you don't sleep in Maggie Daly Park and so your kids have a roof over your head? And I think, again, who running for president would hear that story and be outraged? Mm-hmm. And that person is Senator Bernie Sanders. And yes, he's from Vermont. Uh, when I can eat ice cream and afford it, <laughs> Ben and Jerry's is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's still, there's, he may be from Vermont, but you can hear in his voice is that kid from Brooklyn.
0: Yeah. Uh, he's Vermont by way of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. All right, now i got to ask you the Terry Cosgrove question. Uh, and this question is named for uh, Mr. Terry Cosgrove.
1: Love a, Terry Cosgrove.
0: A frequent uh, visitor on my show, good friend of the show. And he, of course, is the head of Personal Pack, which is the largest uh, reproductive rights uh, pack in the state of Illinois and has been fighting that good fight uh, for many, many years. And uh, he is also a, uh, well, he would probably disagree with me on what I'm about to say, but he basically is on the democratic side of things because the Republicans have completely and utterly abandoned uh, the, the issue that's so important to him. Uh, as such, he was disappointed, to put it mildly, with what uh, Bernie voters did in 2016. Uh, and I know you don't want to relitigate the 2016 election, but I have to ask you this, uh, speaking on your behalf, are you committed? Let's say your guy does not win the nomination. Let's say it's Elizabeth Warren. Let's say it's Grandpa Joe, okay, who wins the nomination. Uh, Dennis' favorite, Joe Biden. Uh- <laughs> I just love doing I did it before he said it to me, so trust me when I say that. I beat him to that. Oh, your favorite Ben, huh? Joe Biden. Uh or uh I've been drinking a lot of that Kamala Kool-Aid lately again, you know, or it could be Kamala Harris, what's that whatever, et cetera. Uh are you committed personally to supporting wholeheartedly that uh uh, Democratic candidate. I got Terry on this show to say he would support Bernie Sanders if Bernie Sanders was the nominee. Uh, so what's, uh, what's your stand on that?
1: Hell yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. I, I supported Hillary Clinton and yeah. I, I, you know, my favorite thing about this talking point is uh, if you go to these swing States, it's amazing how Gary Johnson just keeps appearing at third place in many, of many of these States. So I always find it interesting, this sort of, um, We have to take responsibility for losing to Donald Trump, each and every one of us. Every one of us. Donald Trump is a monster. I know this as a fucking black man. I know this as people, literally folks who work in the immigrant rights community. I know this for folks who are impacted, who are transgender, those who are seeking to get an abortion and reproductive health acts. We all failed. This is a reality, and it is painful, and it is horrible. So, yeah, in 2020, I want that guy out of there. Um, I and I, I shit if it's Mickey Mouse and he's got a D <laughs> next to his name, I he will do a better job than Donald yeah. Trump. And so, I, yes, that's a hell yeah. I mean, All this right, is Terry, no you hear in that?
0: Yeah, Terry Cosgrove. Did you hear that? That was the Terry Cosgrove question. <laughs> I just, he didn't tell me to ask the question, I just made it up. And called it's him
1: fair. I mean, Cosgrove I just think that, that it, it does to me. I think everything I do with a sense of responsibility for myself, Um, you know, there are some things where. Uh, I wish I could do more. And I'm like, what did I not do enough of? Or what did I not do? What do we not do collectively? If we have a meeting, you know, I'm, I have to, I mean, you know, manage people. I'm like, the first thing we need to think about is what could we have done? Mm-hmm. I'm not here to slap you on the wrist. I'm not here to berate you. What do we take from here? And what's the next, you know what? I'll do this. I mean, cause I've been doing it to my personal story. I'm going to go back to my dad because I was a troublemaker. I used to throw eggs at kids all the time, at students all the time, smoke uh, pot in the park, drink. Uh, run away from home because I couldn't be home Because when you have an alcoholic mom You're like I'm not going back there uh, When my dad would see me After I'd done something wrong uh, The first thing he would ask me is You know what you did That's all. He'd say you know what you did I'd be like yeah I know what I did He's like so uh, explain to me what you did I'd be like uh, I threw <laughs> eggs And I yeah. smoked pot and he was like uh, You know why that's wrong And I'd be like I know, I know why that's wrong dad And He would say So what are you gonna do next time? I'm gonna try not to do it. he was like, you know, that's okay. But you know, can you make a bigger commitment? And I'd be like, I'm not gonna do it. I would do it again. My dad would be like, you know what you did? And I would break it down and I would repeat the same thing until I started doing it less and less because he wasn't trying to completely punish me. Um, And the same thing would happen over and over again. It wasn't about whether I succeeded or failed. It was the clarity of what success and failure looked like to me and moving from that. So to look at 2016, I, we tried, and we've lost to Donald Trump. We are embarrassed as a country. I don't think we're as embarrassed as the UK with Boris Johnson, but we are pretty embarrassed <laughs> we're as right a country. Right up there, yeah, we are. Um, it is it, it it is something that we look at and we say, "What do we do?" And we explain what happened, all of it. What 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 about this didn't work? What about this didn't work? What about this worked? What about this worked? And what are we going to do now? Yeah. And as we head into 2020. One of those lessons that we're gonna use uh, to win. So if it's one part that you know, some Bernie folks, you know, needed to to commit more to it and think about it as a harm reduction, fine, do it. If it's another part of spending so much time being so mad about the primary that you're blaming the people you need to bring on board, I don't think guilting them and blaming them is one is an organizing strategy. I don't know. I'm an organizer. I've had to organize hundreds of people into a room. I've had to do a lot of one-on-ones. If I was training someone to organize, I would say guilt and blaming people is not the most successful voter turnout plan. It's not 2004. It's not, you Know, puff daddy's like voter guy that doesn't work it's the fact that you need to be driven by a vision mm-hmm. um and the other part is you need to know that there are certain times where you've got to you know just as i say it's been a tough primary let's get this going um and then the other part is there's facts mm-hmm. and the facts are i have a feeling again gary johnson Uh, or the low voter turnout in Milwaukee and Michigan in some areas played a bigger role to what happened in 2016 than anything. And so, who's ever the Democratic nominee, I tell them, Omaha, Nebraska does not need millions of dollars in advertising um, as a trick. Uh, There's a place called Milwaukee uh, County, uh, and there's a state called Michigan. And I hope every one of them visits it and makes it clear to them, that they have the vision to look out for them, because the other part that is very important here is not voting is voting. Mm-hmm. So people who did not vote were saying they don't like what was going on.
0: I would add Pennsylvania to that list. As well. Pennsylvania
1: as well, yeah. but yeah. I think this is this is these are the lessons that we take as an organizing strategy. And so in 2020, um, whether I am you know brought back to be state senator or not. Um, I am more than willing to work with whoever the candidate is to go out. Uh, specifically, I want to take folks to Milwaukee uh, and go to the county. And it's right there. Uh, you know, we'll be done with the convention and let's start organizing people and folks in Milwaukee who are like, why is there Chicago in here? Uh, Midwest solidarity people, um, you know, whether it's the South side or it's uh, in that sort of segregated part of Milwaukee, uh, we know what you're going through and. Uh, we're with you and let's get rid of someone who's making it worse for you. All right.
0: That is um, fair enough. Well said. Uh, and I hope Terry Cosgrove, you're satisfied with that response. Uh, I like to say, just point out one more time. Uh, we're very uh, committed to allowing all the candidates who are running for president or at least a big five anyway, uh, uh, to uh, bring on their surrogates to the show and make their case. We had Elizabeth Brandon Johnson was on for Elizabeth Warren. Brandon's great people. And, uh, and, and Brandon and Carlos Ramirez Rosa was on for Bernie earlier, and they've agreed to sit here and have a, a, a debate. I'm really looking forward to that, uh, and uh, and then when 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 a Kamala Harris is supporters was walking through here. She goes, I want to be a part of that debate. So I don't know if gonna, it's going to be like 10 people sitting in this little room here. but It'll we'll
1: just like, be like the DNC, so you have to give everyone only 30 <laughs> seconds to talk. Uh, that ain't the, working <laughs> with Carlos and Brandon Johnson,
0: I can tell you that. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, uh, Robert Peters, is there anything before I let you go that you want to tell people? That, you know, is Bernie coming to Chicago? Are there any events that, if they want to get involved with Bernie? Anything they should know?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the uh, uh, the campaign and, and everybody is trying to work on something here this month. Um, so everyone should just, you know, keep it po- be posted, uh, keep it posted, keep, keep an eye out. I don't know. Um, and um, the idea here is, um, again, centered and grounded in, in some organizing. Um, and the other part about this is if folks want to get involved, uh, this is not a top-down uh, campaign. Um, you can use the Bernie app. Uh, to knock on some doors. And, and just to say this, uh, it is incumbent for us to to, to work on the, on the south side, so I'm going to be committed to doing that. Um, and, you know, I have a district that includes the Gold Coast and downtown, and a lot of people are like, uh, how are you going to talk to folks like that? I'm going to talk to them the same way. I, there are many people mm-hmm. who are actually downtown in the Gold Coast who uh, and in Streeterville who actually care about these issues, and it's best for us not to ignore uh, ignore them. Uh, so I think this is actually like an opportunity to build. and I think this month is sort of the start of that.
0: All right. Very good. State Senator Robert Peters. Thanks so much for coming on the
1: show. I appreciate definitely. it. Definitely. Thanks for having me. And I just want to say uh, to everyone out there, I talked a lot. Uh, and let's make sure that Ben <laughs> is reminded of this the, yeah, uh, remember, the whole time.
0: <laughs> the first conversation. Are you going to talk? I don't want to guess doesn't <laughs> talk. All right. <laughs> Dennis knows, man. Oh, come on. you Come on. There's a micro talk. <laughs> so Robert Peters definitely talked. All right. He passed the talking test. <laughs> Uh, Very good. Thank you very much, Robert Peters. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.